Thank you, guys. You know, on Wednesday night, I told everybody we got this tomb up here because we're going to use this stone that's rolled across the front of the tomb to remind us of the things that stand between us and God, that get in, get in the way of our faith, just like that stone stood in the way between those women who went that first Easter morning. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, help us to recognize what those things are. The obstacles, that the stones we put across the path that stand between us and you. And Lord, by your grace, roll them away. Speak this morning. Give us hearts and ears ready to hear and believe. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there's a, um, there's a verse at the end of Genesis 2, right before the, the verses that uh, Alan read. It's one of those verses that you can read and skip right past in the Bible. But it's a, it's a really important verse. It says in Genesis 2, verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked. And here's the part that is startling. They felt no shame. It's hard to imagine a world like that. In a world where it's so innocent, a world where it's so perfect, where they had no sin, where there's nothing that could make them blush, nothing that could embarrass them, where they had no shame. That's the world we had at the end of the second chapter of Genesis. And then it changed. And in open defiance of God's word, our first parents took the fruit and they ate. And that's how sin entered the world. Along with sin, death. Along with sin, both guilt and this thing called shame. So what's the difference between guilt and shame? Well, guilt means I did something bad. Shame means I am bad. Guilt says... I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by the things I have done and by the things I have left done, undone. Shame says I am a poor, miserable sinner. I am, by nature, sinful and unclean. That's shame. And it is, my friends, one of the biggest obstacles that stands between us and God. And so the question we're going to ask today is, who's going to roll the stone of shame away? Now, in your life, my life, we experience, you know I mean, this is simplifying it, we experience this thing called shame in a couple of ways. So first of all, there's, there's deserved shame. This is the shame we bring on ourselves by our actions. Adam and Eve, nobody forced them, Right? There's no, the devil made me do it excuse for them. It says in the Bible that she took of its fruit and she ate. She gave some to her husband who was with her and, and he ate. It was their choice. They brought it on themselves. King David, nobody forced him to be peeping over into his neighbor's roof, right? Nobody forced him to invite her over to his house. Nobody forced him to commit adultery. It was his choice. And it's the same, my friends, by our sins of thought, word, and deed, we bring shame on ourselves. There's deserved shame. 
There's also undeserved shame. This is the shame that we carry because of sinful things done to us. The betrayal of a spouse. The abuse, verbal or physical, by someone who's supposed to love us and take care of us. There's also kind of a shame that's put on us when, when we can't live up to what we think is everybody's expectations and we think we should be able to handle something and it's overwhelming us and it's taking its toll in our lives, but we're too proud, we're too ashamed of our weakness to be able to admit it. That's undeserved shame and it's very, very real. Though we have done nothing wrong, we believe somehow that we deserve the abuse. You know, a rape victim will think and feel like they're dirty. Even though it's not their fault. Even though they weren't the ones that did this thing. That's undeserved shame, but it's real shame. And I want to tell you something about this thing called shame. It is always destructive. See, one of the things that shame does is it isolates us. You think about Adam and Eve. What's the first thing they did when they sinned? They realized they were naked. The Bible says they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They covered up. And then the next thing is they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. We still do it. Little kid gets in trouble, knows mom or dad is coming, they go hide. And we still do it as adults. We hide, we, 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 we pretend like it didn't happen. We, see, we buy into this lie, and this is how shame isolates us. We buy into this lie that if other people knew what we'd done, if other people knew our sin, that they wouldn't like us. They wouldn't want anything to do with you or with me. We buy into the lie I bet you all have done it, where we believe that I'm the only one that ever did this, or I'm the only one who has that problem. And so we hide, we pretend, we blame, we make excuses. We do what Adam and Eve did, right? It's, it's her fault, Lord, and she said it's the snake's fault, and they both blamed God. It's true whether it's deserved or undeserved, too. The victim of an assault finds it hard to admit they're hurting, finds it hard to go to the police. King David describes the isolation here in Psalm chapter 32 that he experienced. And I think these words are going to resonate with you because they resonate with me when I kept silent. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat. Of summer. Shame isolates. That's what we do. Shame also breeds more shame. I want you to think about what happened in King David's life, right? He 
has this adulterous affair with Bathsheba, and then when Bathsheba becomes pregnant, how does he solve it? He tries to bring Uriah home, make it into a lie, so that it'll look like Uriah is the father of the child. And when that doesn't work, he makes it even worse. He, he sets it up so that Uriah will be murdered. One thing leads to another, a vicious cycle of shame. Hiding our sin and shame just leads to more sin and shame. The alcoholic who hides that alcoholism that only makes the drinking get worse, not better. And this also is deserved or undeserved, a high percentage, folks, of abused children, especially abused sons, grow up to be abusive parents and husbands. Like 90%. And alcohol. Alcoholism gets passed from one generation to another. Called generational sin. Shame is destructive. Our only hope is if God would roll the stone away. And of course, you know that's the good news. That's what he's done. First thing he does is he invites us to confess our shame. Think about that. Shame can only survive in the darkness. It only thrives in hiding. That's why John warned us, didn't he? He said, he said uh, if you say you're without sin, you're deceiving yourself, and the truth is not in us. Now, this passage isn't up there, but it, it says much the same thing, right? The light has come. This is Jesus talking. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil, because they're ashamed. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works, lest his shame be exposed. Because the only way that we think it's, it's so scary to have it be exposed, but the only way you and I are ever going to be free is to bring it into the light. And so what does God do? He comes into the garden. Go back up one verse, one more, go back. He goes into the garden, and he says, The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, God knows where he is, right? He knows what he's done. Then comes this next verse, right? He said, then I, I heard, Adam answers, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God says to him, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now folks, God knows the answer to those questions. He's not asking because he needs information. He's asking because he knows that Adam and Eve need to say it. Because the only way they're going to be free from it is to come out of the bushes and confess it. Folks, you and I are no different. The only way to defeat shame in our lives is to confess it to God. Sometimes it, it may mean confessing it to another human being. Maybe to the person you've hurt. Not everybody. 
Right? You know the alcoholic? The only way they can get help is when they admit they have a problem. But once they admit it to themselves, once they admit it to God, once they admit it to the people they love, then they can get help with that problem in their lives. And even the undeserved shame, the only way to heal it is to bring it out and go talk to somebody. As long as you leave it in the darkness, it feeds itself. My friends, there's a reason why after the sermon today, before we go to communion, we're going to confess our sins. Why? Because God wants us to come out into the light. He's making the same invitation to you and me that he made to Adam and Eve. There's a reason why that we offer in our church private confession where you can go and talk to your pastor or your lay minister and lay bare whatever it is in complete confidence, confidentiality and privacy, and they can announce to you that God's forgiven. Because that's the first step in God rolling away the stone. Now, how does God respond to our confession? He doesn't turn his back. He didn't reject Adam and Eve. He said, oh, well, you've had your chance. I'll just destroy you and make another couple. That's not what he does, is it? He promised them and he gave us a Savior. It's right there in the very first chapter, verse 15, right? I will put enmity between you and the woman. He says it to the snake. Between your offspring and her offspring. And he, her offspring, will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. That's the first promise of a savior. How do you crush, how do you kill a snake? You crush its head. That's exactly what God did in Jesus Christ. He crushed the serpent's head. I love this verse from Hebrews chapter 2. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, that's us. He, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, so that through death he might destroy, he might crush the head of the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You know what God did? What Jesus did? He took your shame and he became the shamed one. He took your shame to the cross and he was punished for our shame. He took it to the cross and he nailed it there. For the Bible says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, having taken our shame. And you know what that means? By doing that in Jesus Christ, God provided the one thing that covers our shame. In the, in the Old Testament, in, in Genesis 2, 3, there's this, this great story there about how it's the, the only thing that covers our sin, the forgiveness of sin. There's a great story there that God, what does he do? They've made these flimsy fig leaf loincloths. God provides a better covering. Look at this passage here. The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them, covered them. He did. That's what God does. All our attempts to cover our sin and our shame are Fruitless. So what does God do? He provides a covering. He provides Jesus Christ. The Bible says as many have, have, have been baptized into Christ, have been clothed with Christ, have been covered with Christ. 
right? The Bible says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I love King David here when he talks about his confession. We say it in the liturgy in the, in the old hymnal. He says, um, I said, this is from Psalm 32, David says, I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God rolls away stone of our shame. He forgives us. It's also how he does away with the shame that's undeserved. Best example I could think of that, the story I've told you parts of before, it's the story of a lady named Corey Tenboom. That's her. Corey, uh, Corey was, and her sister hid Jews during World War II. And they got arrested by the Nazis and they got thrown into a um, concentration camp, I think Ravensbrück. And just days before the camp was liberated, Corey's sister died in that camp. And after the war, Corey, who was a very committed Christian, went around all the world telling people about God's love and forgiveness in Christ, and she even went to Germany. And in her book, Tramp for the Lord, she tells a story of being in Germany. She's seeing a man come up to her, one of the former guards from the camp. And she recognized him. And he said to her, told her that since the war he'd become a believer. I know, he said, I know that God has forgiven me the cruel things I did there, but, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. And he held out his hand to her. I want you to hear what Corey, he said to her, will you forgive me? I want you to hear what Corey said. I want you to hear it in her own words. She, said, she says, and I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that. You supply the feeling. So she says, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the hand held out to me. And as I did, the most incredible thing happened in my heart. I forgive you, brother, I cried. With all my heart. For a long moment, she says, we grasped each other's hands. The former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even then, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and didn't have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how God rolled away the stone of shame from both their lives. The deserved shame of the guard, the undeserved shame of the former prisoner. 
That's how he does it for you and me. He takes your shame and he nails it to a cross. And then he invites you to take whatever it is that's been done to you, however you've been hurt, and nail it to his cross too. And forgive those who hurt you. That's how God rolls away the stone. Amen? Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and to life that is everlasting. Amen.